Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the diverse worlds of regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I'm thrilled to guide you through this week's episode. So let's jump right in. Sarah from New Society Publishers. At New Society, we are committed to ensuring that the health and diversity of the environment is conserved for the benefit of future generations. Find out more about how we put people and planet first at newsociety.com or on any of your favorite social media channels. All right, everybody. Before I get started with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about a new project that I've just launched. Now, after years of highlighting and promoting the knowledge, wisdom, and projects of innovators and leaders in regenerative living through this podcast, I've realized that this audio format can only ever reach so many people. There are so many others out there who engage more with other forms of learning. That's why I've started the Abundant Edge YouTube channel. Now that I'm back on the road and visiting regenerative and sustainable projects in my travels, I'll be profiling the people and organizations that are making a real impact on their environments and their communities. My goal is to show as many people as I can reach that you don't have to have a lot of money, access to a ton of resources, or have a fancy education under your belt to make a real difference in this world and create change. Now my first mini documentary highlights the unbelievable achievements of a small community called Kishaya in the highlands of Guatemala. More than 30 years ago the land where the village is located was owned by a plantation owner who kept the ecosystem under monoculture cultivation and exploited the local people who worked for slave wages on the farm. After the owner defaulted on his loans, the bank repossessed the land and offered it back to the local workers as payment for the wages owed to them. The villagers then redistributed their terrain among the original 80 families who took back control of the plantation and divided it equally between themselves so they might care for it and create a better life for their families. Now decades later, the descendants of these pioneers have helped to transform the land into a profound abundance which you'll see in the documentary. Now if you want to see the rest, you'll have to check it out for yourself. You can find it really easily just by typing in Abundant Edge into the YouTube search bar. And be sure to keep an eye out for more short films highlighting the projects that I visit as I travel through Mexico and beyond. I'll also be releasing tutorials on everything from design theory to building and gardening techniques in the upcoming months. I really hope that this will become a resource that, like the podcast, helps to inspire you to live your highest potential by living regeneratively. As I continue to explore the myriad options that exist for profitable regenerative work, I keep coming back to the business aspects of impact and integrity entrepreneurship. Now, one of the people that I've come to rely on for professional perspectives in this sphere is Pete Wyden, founder of the Epic Eco Designer. And I had the chance to catch up with him for today's session, where we explore many aspects of the personal and external challenges of finding holistic success in an ecological business. Now, in this interview with Pete, we break down some of the challenges that we both faced in getting our design and consulting businesses off the ground, and some of the most important takeaways that we learned from. Pete talks about the common challenges that he sees from the people that he coaches, and stresses the importance of doing the inner work to understand how you want to grow. He also shares some tips on marketing strategies to help attract your ideal clients and reach a larger audience. Now, as we'll repeat a few times in this session, a lot of Pete's advice applies to any business type and not just ecological designers and consultants. So I'm sure nearly all of you will get some value out of this one. So now I'll turn things over to Pete. 
Hey, Pete, it's such a pleasure to be talking to you again. How are you doing, buddy? I am doing so great, Oliver. It is almost July here in Minnesota. Um, just had an excellent design meeting with some nearby clients and loving life. Great to be you here. You and I have been in touch through a lot of the different transitions that I've had between Guatemala and here. And I'm actually going to be coming out to Minnesota pretty soon. And we're going to yeah. get up in person. Yes, I am stoked. I, a friend of mine is giving me a canoe very soon too. So I'll awesome. probably get out on the water. Get on the lakes. Yeah, for sure. Now, I know you've had a whole bunch of things going on, uh, not the least of which developing a project with your band, working with the Epic Eco Designer program with other ecological designers in your area, and even some of your own design clients. So what do we say? You just get into the question since we did a previous interview. It was more than a year ago now. And if anybody's yeah. interested in learning about your personal background, I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes on this and they can find out about how you got started and what you do. Perfect. All right, cool. So um, let's start to explore a little bit about what you've seen in the potential for environmental regenerative work to be lucrative, how people can form businesses around this. What have you seen for mm -hmm. yourself in this regard? Well, it was interesting. And, and you know, I won't get too much into my backstory, but uh, shortening that up, uh, I had a lot of experiences working in other people's businesses and in my own where I just felt so shorthanded in terms of understanding how to really see myself as the true uh, expert and specialist that I am as an ecological designer. I personally, I personally have a background in ecology and landscape architecture, and I've been focusing on residential design and now moving more into um, agricultural, larger scale uh, educational centers, retreat centers, things like that in the Midwest here. But for so long, I kept myself from diving into my own business. And I, I just kept helping people with theirs because I was uh, feeling absolutely lost as far as how to find potential clients who really wanted this type of work, this specialized type of design, um, how to have a conversation and feel natural about money uh, with them. And also, um, you know, getting out of this feeling that I had to somehow undercut um, my prices in order to be appealing just for someone to hire me. And so how does that fly in the face of some of the things that you've learned since then that have helped to build your confidence and helped you also to build the confidence of other people you've worked with into the realities of what the potential is when you kind of either break off on your own or realize the power that you have within this uh, knowledge base? Yeah, and there's a, <clears throat> a couple sides to that. The first one that is a little bit harder to put a pin on, a pin in, um, is this this aspect of self-worth and it's definitely contextual as far as our individual you know way that that manifests but so many people just in general designer or not um we have this kind of skewed view of ourselves in terms of, of the true value true worth of just us as people in general but realizing that we don't have to be something external from ourselves and uh, we can be authentic and relaxed and really be in our own flow and be making a great living as a designer. And another, so it's like, we don't have to somehow extend ourselves beyond who we truly are. You don't have to become some weird <clears throat> idea of the all powerful, 
you know, Oliver in order to be, you know, this, this designer with a lucrative business who's sure, doing really valuable work. Self-doubt and into becoming an egomaniac. There is a, <laughs> there's a better balance in there. And tell me how this realization has helped you in your own life and your own business. Well, one aspect of it, which is the other piece that I mentioned, I uh, alluded to, is that this work, there's so much benefit to what we do for people, um, for the planet, and the results that we can get people with a permaculture, ecological, hybrid approach, whatever your specific approach is, because we're all so unique. Um, it's so pragmatic. It's so functional. Um, and it can be beautiful as well, of course. So I actually found that it's easier to sell that type of work because of the added benefits, because of the depth of value there. And really, you know, I was thinking about it on my drive to this design meeting today. And, you know, even I, like, I have done hundreds of these meetings. Sometimes I still get nervous before them. I mean, it's natural. Um, but at the same time, that's really just because I care. And I want to make sure that the client feels supported. And um, I have this client-centric perspective on my business, um, and which is so important. And that really takes a lot of the issues of self-worth out. Because self, the issues of, you know, do I know enough? Am I good enough? Et cetera. It's like, none of that really matters when you're looking at it from a perspective of how can I help this person and that you are a guide who sees possibility and potential and acts upon that rather than be having to be some kind of walking encyclopedia because a walking encyclopedia actually throws people off in my experience rather than them trusting you because they're like, Oh, that person knows everything. It's not a natural state um, to be in as a human, as an organism. Um, you know, infectious curiosity is really what wins the day at all times in a sales conversation, in a design meeting or whatever. So that really solved the, the self-worth piece for me. Um, and as far as value-based pricing, which is what I teach people that I work with on their business, um, a lot of that has to do with our sense of self-worth as a designer, but as, as a person in the rest of our lives too, because the business is only a third of who we are. You know, we have our relationship to ourselves, our relationship to the others in our personal life as well. So really all of that is affected by our sense of self-worth. And so one of the things that I, I've always found that you've been uniquely good at is communicating this sort of added value of the services of ecological design over conventional landscaping and things like that. Tell me a little bit about how you convey that message to people to help them to understand all of the benefits that sort of a holistic approach to their natural systems can bring and how it's sort of related to finding clients. Yeah, okay. So yeah, there's a couple layers there. So as far as finding clients, that one is definitely specific to each business. It, it relates to how best we communicate with others, what types of settings we like to be in, what our real clientele focus is. For example, you know, if you're focusing on consulting with farmers on soil health, or if you're working on getting residential clients, you're going to be in different settings and interacting with people in different ways. Uh, ultimately, regardless of who you're working with, uh, when it comes to lead generation, uh, creating relationships with people, sales, 
it's really just about understanding what their top of mind problem is. And that's such a ubiquitous, you know, recommendation in any, any industry, any business. Um, but because it's true. <laughs> and so as part of that client centric approach, it's really about being just inquisitive and by nature of being an ecological designer, uh, you know, farmer, whatever we may be doing that we're, um, you know, we're using our experience um, to be consulting for others and help them shorten the gap between where they're at and where they want to be. It's really understanding not only where they want to be, because, you know, that's pretty easy for people to talk about. It's like, what's the vision? Of course, some people don't have a vision and are looking to a consultant to, to help them there. But, but it's really about understanding where that person is today and why they're there what the inner workings are of their life, their mind, um, their relationship to their property in this example, that's going to help us really understand what the value would be if we were to help them address those issues from our perspective and to have, from that bird's eye perspective on their situation. Well, talk to me a little bit about how you get in that deep with a client or someone that you're collaborating with to sort of suss out these things that many of us either don't know how to talk about or are unaware of about the things that are holding us back, uh, the problems that are more at the or below the surface that are perhaps mm -hmm. causing the problems or the hangups or, you know, any of those other issues for, yeah. for what it is we say that we're trying to achieve. Yeah. And you made a, a, a really good observation there. Below the surface is key. Because in so much of life, you know, I just had a very short conversation with my neighbor and I was, I was like, it made me a little bit restless and it, it was, it was, it was a really good, you know, nice little exchange, but I was just like, Hey, how's it going? And they're like, Hey, good, you. And then we talked about the weather and it's like, that's nice to make that connection, but it's so surface level. And I was the instigator of that. So, um, be getting below the surface with people is not something we commonly do, especially with people we've just met, but is, it is the one thing that's going to build trust most quickly with somebody. One, because you're breaking through that initial barrier that so many people uh, feel they need to uphold uh, around strangers or in public or whatnot. People don't actually want to be that way. They want connection. But in order to make that comfortable for people, they really have to know that you're looking out for their best interests. And showing somebody that you are looking out for their best interests is about being inquisitive rather than being the person who's telling, 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 telling. Like I get sold to all the time where people are like telling me, oh, this will be good for your business or you know, what, whatever, if they're coming at me from the perspective of telling me everything they can do, I know that it right off the bat, it's not going to be something I'm interested in at all. And I think honestly, that's where a lot of consultants lose potential sales is that the person on the other end of that conversation, the person receiving, um, you know, your spiel or whatever you're doing, um, they may not think about it consciously unless they're in sales and they understand these, these nuanced differences to interacting with people. But if you come at it from a point of wanting to understand, and in that sense, digging deeper 
into the things they're talking about, finding clarity. Because someone could say, oh, well, I'm having a lot of issues with my yard. Um, there's like really bad drainage and other stuff going on. You know, some consultants might just write down, oh, poor drainage, we need to fix that. What's that causing? What's that causing in their landscape? What kind of issues is it causing um, in the rest of their life? Do they, do they want to have you know, outdoor barbecues and they can't because it's too muddy to put chairs out? It's these very specific contextual aspects of how someone's current situation is affecting them that results in being able to communicate the value of you stepping in and helping them out. Now, I've found in my own interactions with clients like this, uh, usually asking why a few times will get down into sort of the more base level of what it is that's either causing the issue or is, you know, the thing that they're wanting to achieve but are finding friction or, you know, blockages in the way of. But mm -hmm. also coming at it from a perspective of offering up a little bit of personal vulnerability or finding a way to relate whether you've had the same experience or just a similar one or know mm. a friend who has often gets them to explain or I guess sort of communicate the, the parts that they weren't planning on, but that are key to understanding what the real objective in any project is. Have, have you got methods or, maybe even design criteria or communication steps to, to sort of, I don't want to say fast track that because it's not always a, a race for time, but to <laughs> sort of to systematize it so, so that it doesn't get overlooked. Well, I think a big part of that is it's just go, going through these conversations with people. So there's a few different aspects. I mean, just so many things that we're talking about. Um, but one of these pieces is that it takes experience and running through these conversations. So like I said, I've worked with hundreds of design clients. And so I can sense when there's something more that we could be talking about when I feel like there's not true, like stone at the bottom of the well clarity on, on what's really happening for them. Um, as far as systematizing it, I think part of what, what you may be getting at is, do I have some type of rubric I use to go through things with my clients? Um, as part of the United Designers family of professionals, I do, um, you know, take take some of that lead that Dan Dan Halsey and others have put into, you know, rubric for understanding where someone's at, and making sure I'm covering different angles. But at the same time, I find that every client is so different. Um, that I, at this point, use my experience to guide me in terms of what I really need to know to make sure I'm uh, putting together a proposal that's going to really convey that value to somebody um, and get them really excited from a piece of paper about a design and you know, a transformation in real life uh, in their property. So as far as creating a system around it, um, you know, it's good to have an idea of the certain topics you want to cover with somebody. But as far as getting to the bottom of something, a huge piece for me was getting comfortable asking somebody why. I have never had somebody look at me and be like, no, I don't want to talk about that. Or why are you keep asking? Why are you four years old? Um, and you don't have to just say like, why, why, why? Cause that'd be ridiculous. Right. Sure. But you know, if somebody says, well, you know, I really wish, 
um, you know, we want to put a new patio in, but I don't want to have it over here. I want to have it over there rather than just, you know, helping rather than just um, investing in, in that level of the story and saying, okay, we'll put it over there. What, how am I helping? Like, yeah, maybe I, maybe I might help by choosing the materials and the shape or whatnot. But when people, where people really see the value in having you around as a consultant in any situation is when you are asking those mirroring questions that just keep bouncing that same topic to deeper and deeper. It's like paddle ball and you're just getting farther and farther down that little canyon. And um, then you can explore, you can get to the level of information that might tell you, oh, actually... Well, if you know if you bring through you know, lumber every so often to work on your furniture shop, well, maybe the patio shouldn't be there or whatever. And they're like, "Oh, wow! Oh, I didn't even think about that." And you, it's a, it's about getting that information so that you can make, um, you can have that bird's eye perspective and give them the real evidence of the fact that you're thinking about things in a different way, because that's the only thing that ever ultimately sells. A design, um, a consulting package of any kind is, are you thinking in a different way from the client? Because just like Einstein said, like we always quote, um, you know, a problem can't be solved at the same level of consciousness that created it. Absolutely. And so let's take a little shift right now away from just working directly with the clients and start maybe a little bit further back from the beginning about how you project a message and start to add value to a conversation that would bring people to your services above, say, a competitor or someone else in a similar field. Yeah. So what I work on with one-to-one clients that I help in their business, we're focused on four things. It's packaging their service, pricing it from a value perspective, marketing it, and selling it. And in order to have a productive conversation or, or even know if someone is right for your service, you have to have that package clearly defined See, in terms that of I think what exactly really you offer. Where you jump further on that is whether the client is right for the services that you right. offer. And again, this is one of the things that I've really gravitated towards in your message is you also need to be screening the people who come to you. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it can be very difficult to do, especially in yes. the beginning of starting a business when you're still in a, uh, a mindset of scarcity, thinking yep. that you need to take every single penny of, of uh, business that comes your way. But how do you get out of that mentality of thinking, okay, anything is going to be worth it and realizing that there's only a handful of clients that are really going to you know, compensate you properly for your time, give you the types of projects that you are uniquely suited to do well at, and even continue to grow the experience that you want to, to build towards the consultancy or the design firm that you ultimately want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to start off by saying, you know, I laugh about it now. Um, but when I was just starting, I was so mired in that scarcity mindset and that energy. Oh, so was I. Yeah, I can totally it, it, relate. Yeah. So, you know, with anyone who's just starting out, you know, I feel that. I've been there. And with anyone who's farther along in their business, um, there are different aspects to, 
you know, feeling like one is caught in a rut or whatever that are kind of uh, warning flags that say, okay, let's take another look at this and analyze it um, with a, with a fresh perspective. But as far as, you know, this idea that one needs to take on whatever work comes their way, that's just a symptom. It's not a necessity. It's not, it's not a way of being that it's going to bring success or sustained growth. For example, if somebody's taking on a lot of jobs that they don't like, they might stop reaching out to new leads and making sales. And then the business slows down and they end up quitting or, or whatever. Or they or might not be able to take the leads that they really want because they're overcommitted to ones that are simply draining their time and resources. Right. And, and I said that they, as a hypothetical as if that wasn't exactly <laughs> what I went through. <laughs> a friend of mine. Um, yeah. So having that package clearly defined, it's really the package is results in a clear offer of what exactly you do for somebody and what that entails and how each part of that package that you offer solves specific problems that they have. Because this is the client-centric approach. It's not all about us. Scarcity mindset comes from this warped perspective. And unfortunately, you know, it's so prevalent and um, we all deal with it in various ways. Uh, it's kind of like, eh, I, I wouldn't, I don't want to say it's like kind of like fear where it's always around. It just gets quieter, but it's very pervasive in modern culture. And it's a big reason why so many people in the permaculture, ecological design, or other, you know, kind of like world changer, world healer modalities are really fed up with the idea of money. It's, it's something I come across all the time, and it keeps us from being successful um, in this current economy and really making the change that we want to see happen and really soaring. Um, but as far as, you know, getting to a place where you're bringing on, you're interacting with the people, at least at, on, the, on the actual sales conversation level, once you get to that point with somebody, you know that they're the right kind of person you, you want to work with before you even get to that site visit or get on a call with them. You know that they're going to be a good fit if, you know, certain criteria are in place. You know, they're really serious about making the results happen now. Um, they're, they're ready and willing to invest in what it takes to hire you as a consultant. But like I said, you know, those symptoms of feeling frenzied and that, you know, just any job would do right now, you know, it doesn't take that long to sit down and look at, okay, what, what am I really offering here? And, and then be able to shift your energy, shift your perspective to one of excitement for the people that you're going to help with this. The biggest piece and I would say 90% of my personal work on my business is simply emotional, the self-worth, the um, ability to be radically honest with myself and, and say, this isn't working. So instead of frantically um, wasting time on Facebook or some weird flyer that someone's trying to sell me for marketing, I'm going to take two hours or whatever today Maybe I'll take five hours and go for an amazing hike, get in a really great place of mind, um, 
and then spend a couple hours really taking an honest look, maybe with a friend, maybe with a mentor or, or, or whatever, on what am I really doing here? Because if you're moving forward from a place where there isn't that clarity, you know, that's just, it's just a recipe for, for unnecessary failure. Yeah. And I mean, so much of what you've talked about is figuring out how to define not only what your services are, but what it is that you're good at before creating this message and doing all of this client outreach or marketing or whatever it might be to try and grow your business. Because if those things are poorly defined, your message isn't going to ring true. Your, um, your, your marketing strategy isn't going to resonate with people or give them a false idea of what it is that you can offer them. Um, so once you kind of have clarified that, once you've done that sort of inner work to understand yourself and your services better, how do you start to, to put that out there? What are the channels that you have found success in and that you have seen other people find success in as well? One of the biggest pieces of, you know, making an impact in any way today is breaking out of the normal channels um, that most people are using to connect with others. So, you know, being on social media is great and having a great following on Instagram or your Facebook page is cool for sure. But those numbers don't mean anything if there aren't sales coming into the business. Like they really don't. They're you could have the most impressive Facebook page with like 20,000 likes. But if you don't know why those people, why you're, you know, attracting those people, it's not going to make any difference. I mean, the, the same goes for in-person stuff. And that's what I'm leading into is the fact that hands down in-person interaction is the way to meet people, to make an impression um, and, and make an impression as yourself. You don't have to put on some some weird business persona. Like people catch on to that so easily, even subconsciously. It's just it's not authentic, and anything that's inauthentic just turns people off. It's just this. I I look at things in a very spiritual kind of energy centric way, but regardless, if it turns people off, it turns people off, and that means um, you know really time misspent and people not helped with your business. So you know some of the biggest things that have helped for me were get, just getting involved with some local groups and especially educational groups. For example, I walked in randomly to a nature center and talked with this guy. His, his, this is just an amazing story I have to share. His Please. wife, his wife um, passed away from cancer a few years ago. And while she was, you know, battling for her life, he asked her, you know, is it okay if we take the money that we were going to spend on vacations together and build a nature center at this park. I should take you there. It's I've, I've, I've been very involved with this place. Yeah, what I, park is this? This is Sunfish Lake Park in Lake Elmo, Minnesota. Yeah, I'd love to see it. But yeah, go yeah. on. Yes. Um, and it's called Sally Manzara Nature Center. They have a website. And it's just, oh my gosh, I could go. <laughs> we could spend a whole hour talking about it. But so, you know... I got invited to do various things such as uh, run planting days of native prairie plants with fourth graders. I got to choose all these crazy, awesome, unusual plants and the kids learned a ton about pollinators and fire ecology. And, and like, this is very, very fulfilling work for me. It's not the core of my business, but it's another aspect of creating diversified income streams, which is important. And, um, you know, you can run a business solely on design work and I do help people do that. Um, year round, even in, you know, in the dead of winter, having design work ongoing. 
but um, it's fun to have that diversity and most people need that, uh, that change. But when you're getting involved with organizations, while it can be an amazing way to meet people, um, show them your expertise by teaching rather than, you know, trying to make some inauthentic impression in, in a quick conversation. Um, and then, you know, meeting kids, families, things like that. Um, I've gotten work that way. For example, kids go home and say, oh my God, we saved seeds from this tomato. And then, you know, lo and behold, I'm designing edible landscape for the family because the daughter's obsessed with saving seed from everything, including bananas, which of course most don't have seeds um, that we get here. So an important aspect of this though, although it can be so effective, is to understand what your commitment level is. And I'm a very, very creative person. I had resisted and analytics, numbers, et cetera, for so long in my business. And I'm really coming around to how powerful they are. And I'm bringing that more and more into the one-to-one work I do with business owners is, you know, how much time are you willing and able to spend doing this type of marketing where you're building relationships with others, which is very important you know, from a social permaculture perspective, from a personal health perspective, and it's very effective for the bottom line of the, of the business when you know what you're offering. But if you're spending 20 hours a week volunteering at a school, you know, is that really, is it really paying off in terms of the relationships that you're building, turning into your, um, you know, work that's furthering your ability to do what you're here on this planet to do? Um, you know, so a big aspect of that, though, is that I've had an amazing relationship with this nature center because they're paying me um, for some of the things I do. I do volunteer some other ways, like I'm going to be watering a three sisters garden um, this week because someone's out of town. You know, I, I chip in in various ways. But, you know, if, if you're making decisions and committing to things with some vague idea, um, and if it's vague... You know, you can tell if it's not concrete, if you don't have a definitive, yes, this is the activity that's bringing in income or yes, I am actually getting leads out of this. And then, you know, having the, the skills to build those relationships and, and make sales. Um, if, if that's really not set out clearly, and I'm like, I come back to clarity all the time because it just, it keeps us on a forward path on an upward uh, spiral. Uh, but yeah, if, if it's not clear why we're spending all this time, um, hanging out and helping people, there has to be that exchange that give and receive, um, it's just universal law. It needs to be equal or else you're going to get burnt out or, um, their, their expectations might not be met and you committed to something or, you know, there's, there's ways in which that energy can fall off of you know, the proper channel if it's not clear as to why it's being spent in a certain direction. Yeah, defining that's pretty key. And a lot of what you've talked about seems to be going hand in hand with kind of developing a holistic lifestyle that integrates you with the community and business clients and leads and those types of client relationships are almost just a side effect of that. It has much more to do with building social capital and, you know, monetary capital is one of the things that can come from that depending on how you manage it. But let's talk about something that you touched on just a second ago is diversity of income. And like you said, it is possible to make a good living just 
through a design firm or uh, consulting. But especially for people of our generation, the millennial generation, though I'm kind of on the older end of it, uh, <laughs> they are looking into a different type of let's say career resilience, whereas the previous model used to be work for a company that was large enough to offer benefits and all of these things. That option is becoming less and less secure for so many of us, especially those of us who get into entrepreneurial endeavors and start to work for ourselves or do sort of freelance work. What are some of the other options that you've seen aside from just ecological design consultancy um, and perhaps you know, teaching workshops from time to time that are profitable endeavors with either colleagues that you've worked with or that you've seen successful examples of in the sphere in which we work? Yeah, um, really the biggest piece that it comes down to is cultivating the awareness of, of our own innate gifts and what we love to do and being aware of opportunities to apply those in various ways. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways in which people might be involved, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, um, it's a little bit different than say, you know, an ecological designer could, could easily become, um, you know, a fundraising, uh, donor relations manager for a land conservancy or something like there's a lot of ways in which um you know an ecological background can turn into something a little different in that way but that's that's more of what i would consider kind of being an employee um so as far as being an entrepreneur and finding alternative ways beyond I mean, so when you mentioned consulting I mean, that's such a broad thing, right? Because it's yeah, a service. Be You're anything. just offering a service that's helping address yeah. some issue for somebody. So that's very diverse. You know, you could be helping people with soil health. You could be helping them diagnose plant diseases. Um, you could be consulting on creating um, interior, rewilding people's interiors of their homes or um, gosh, there's, there's so many things or, or creating a, you know, sustainability plan for a city recycling program, composting, et cetera. And that's just the scratching the surface. I've been talking with somebody recently who does fish genetic analysis and, and looking wow. at creating a consulting business around that potentially. So, you know, there's other alternative things. There's the whole side of product creation and, and marketing, um, for me, for example, I, I think I can give a more in-depth, and this, this has some diversity in with it too, I'm part of a small collective in Spring Green, Wisconsin, which is 45 minutes west of Madison, and there's a farm there that my friend Robin was uh, has inherited with her brother. It's 160 acres. You and I have talked about it a bit, and um, I'll be living there next growing season because we are creating a an educational farm and retreat center so every cover type on that property from prairie to woodland to geothermal greenhouse to riparian area will have programming and production associated with it so that each cover type on that property is providing the income for its own enhancement over time so what that entails is yes i will be consulting i'll be creating a, a proposal this summer and bringing in um, 
we'll be looking for funding and bringing in the United designers to do a plan for that. And, um, but also, you know, beyond that, there is so much programming that's going to be happening on that piece of land. So, you know, really education is such a huge part of what we do as consultants anyway. And, you know, regardless at, of, at which, whatever level the public is at in terms of their knowledge of certain skills, of certain ways of being and connecting with the earth and others around them, there will always be opportunities to educate. But especially now, as we're, you know, working on, we're building that um, inevitable momentum of the wave cresting where regenerative lifestyle and the higher standard of living that, that can easily be had by being connected to the earth and each other on a deeper and deeper level, um, where that becomes the norm. There's a lot of education that's needed and wanted um, desperately in both situations where, you know, people want nature immersion. They want to learn wild edibles. They want to learn how to grow veggies, you know, build their own timber frame home or straw bale, whatever. Um, so that's a huge part of what's going to be happening on that farm. So that's an aspect of that diversity is being a facilitator of that type of programming, that type of education, you know, products that come off of the land or, or that just help people out in general, because all we're doing with that piece of property is fulfilling a huge gap in the availability of healthy local fresh food, um, the connection between the soil and our gut health, mental health, etc. I mean, that's that's what I see is that awareness of what are the real issues going on here today. And yeah, you know, plastic in the oceans is an issue, but people aren't necessarily going to pay you. I mean, they there are people that get paid to clean up plastic from the oceans, for example. But if you're walking around, you know, Twin Cities, Minnesota selling a service to clean up the, <laughs> the plastic in the ocean or something. It has to relate to, yeah, maybe it relates to somebody feeling a, a relief of some um, displaced guilt or something. But, um, well, tell me how this sits with you because, you know, as ecological designers, we talk so much about the observation process and, you know, trying to give as much time and attention to that to make educated decisions on how to affect the landscape in which we're interacting. And I think that that applies so much to the business model as well. And if you don't take enough time to really understand the community that you intend to serve, whether it be online, whether it be in your immediate vicinity or somewhere off somewhere else, um, you're not going to tap into what the needs, what the pressure points, um, what the, the desires of those communities that you're aiming to serve are. And you might really find that the services or the products that you care to offer are very different from what you initially thought you had to offer based on those needs and desires of the community if you're paying attention. And I know I've come mm -hmm. to a lot of different conclusions, partly because I've moved around the world so much in my adult life, that each place has sort of unique circumstances that would make something that you're able to offer uh, valuable to that community. Mm -hmm. And thinking outside of just what you thought you wanted to provide and what these places actually need or desire could really be the difference between a successful business model, no matter how positive it might be, and one that struggles just for, for you know, sort of, I guess, shortcutting that observation process, which we put so much time and effort into when we're looking into natural systems. Yeah, yeah. So 
one of the biggest game changers for me around that has been cultivating this openness to the fact that there is, well, for example, you know, to, if someone's in a, in a state of experiencing the scarcity mindset, there's no reason why an hour later they couldn't make a $5,000 sale in their business or the next day. But in our communities and, you know, context, it really comes down to context, but there are solutions that we can offer with our skills, with our gifts, with our personal interests that are very economically viable in a lot of different ways and different, different levels where, you know, there is a service that we can offer that just unlocks the whole world for us and really gets at the heart of what people are seeking in terms of the transformation for them. Because whenever somebody makes a purchase, regardless of, you know, whether it's in their business and they're, they're uh, joining a, a business mastermind or they're trying to fix up their home in a certain way, that sale is a transformation. It's a personal healing. And it, it should be, at least. And that's when it feels great for everybody involved. So in order to get to that place where somebody is making a purchase and they just can't wait to hand you that check because they know how much it's going to benefit them and they can feel that fresh air coming into their life, creating those connections that bring that context from the standpoint of, you know, we're only here for a finite amount of time. And so to sit behind a computer or not be out there connecting with others, you know, people might describe themselves as an introvert or whatnot. I'm an, I'm an introvert, but all that means for me is that I gain my, my batteries recharge and I spend time alone in nature, especially. Yeah. Same with me. Yeah. So, you know, if you're in the consulting industry, a consulting business, you got to be excited about interacting with people and, and to be able to understand, you know, if you're not feeling excited about interacting with people, is that just because you don't have a clearly defined package and offer or is it because you're, you know, maybe not in the right business? It's definitely a question to ask, but as far as, you know, being open to the excitement of understanding where in this person's life, in this experience, do they have something going on that I can help with? Um, first of all, knowing what you do help with is an important piece of that. So you can know, am I just having a conversation with somebody that's, that's friendly and it, it's, um, it's really doesn't have potential right now as uh, you know, a, a client who's going to sign on and work with me, or is this person just the perfect fit? And it's so different for each business and it's different for each location, especially regionally. But being able to be yourself, be that excited, open, optimistic person, you know, it's easy to get closed off, um, especially early on in business and be afraid of making mistakes or, um, you know, putting oneself out there. But it only ever, is of benefit because that's the only way we're really going to understand what people are seeking and how we can actually be of service in the world. 
I love that. And it really flies in the face of what you've heard in, in so many different spheres of performance where, you know, the concept of fake it till you make it or kind of put on a front until you can actually live it genuinely, I think is really starting to erode, as you mentioned earlier, too. <laughs> You know, with with the Internet, with so many options available to us and, and the messages constantly bombarding our sphere, it's getting easier and easier to tell the authentic ones, the ones that are coming from a place of honesty and very easy to weed out the ones that aren't. And I really think that, um, you know, sort of to break with that narrative, there's no shame in in talking about where you are in your journey. And knowing that increasingly a lot of people are going to resonate with that message and could be even the thing that creates the relationships that propel you to another level. Um, what are some of the other factors in sort of unlocking the potential or I guess getting past the hurdles or, or maybe what are the hurdles that you see holding back eco-minded entrepreneurs or socially minded entrepreneurs in that way? I think a big thing is you know, I, I had a, a really powerful experience in my own business recently with this, but it's so, I would say it's so easy to get lost in that, um, that scarcity mindset or that, oh, I really need to make this sale. Um, but it's also easy to come from a place of, you know, genuinely seeking to understand somebody. But there's, you know, those are two sides of the same the same coin really um because who we are when we're interacting with the people that you know may become our clients um it it really comes down to cultivating our ability to be present and the reason why we're getting into ecological design is not to make money right that's not the primary motivator um, I do a lot of money mindset work with my clients because it's a really important part of making sales and not being concerned about, you know, the price that you're giving something at the value in which, you know, the level at which a value based design, you know, is priced, for example, um, because if we are so like what I'm saying is that this money mindset thing is one of the biggest obstacles. It's so pervasive in modern culture um, and especially in our permaculture ecological design communities and it holds 80% of people back from having a successful business and there's a spectrum like anything you know some people might be so against the idea of money that they're living off grid and don't have you know a phone because they don't want to support any anything related to the idea of capitalism and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that um, but then there are other people who are really trying hard in their business and they're going around to um, having sales conversations, but they're so focused on the concern about the sale falling through or saying the right thing that they're not being authentic. Um, they're not understanding what the client's really looking for and thus their package isn't aligning with the client's needs. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like you said, many of these narratives are really pervasive in entrepreneurial circles, uh, especially startup circles. And kind of to transition out here before we wrap up, what is some advice that you would give to people, especially in their beginning phases of starting their own business or breaking out on their own? 
either to keep in mind that will kind of guide them through some of the hurdles that they're inevitably going to face as, as early stage entrepreneurs, or maybe tips from your own experience that helped you get past a lot of the, the roadblocks or the hurdles of the initial stages. Top of the list is be excited about what you're doing and be assertive. You know, it's not about being the know-it-all encyclopedia brown of the consulting industry you're in or, you know, landscape design and whatnot. But if you are genuinely excited and ready for a challenge, you know, so many designers when they're starting out hold themselves back because they think, oh, my drawing skills aren't good enough or... Um, I don't know my plants well enough, things like that. And, you know, while there are real needs as far as our expertise in terms of selecting the right thing for a certain spot or whatnot or a certain situation, um, you know, what's stopping you from learning other than your own mindset? Um, so, you know, people might be timid in a conversation telling somebody about what they do. What's the point? You, you're just telling somebody what you're doing. You're not committing yourself to designing some breakwater on the edge of Lake Superior or that requires insane engineering or something. You know, it's, I think a lot of, um, a lot of people at any level of experience, but especially starting out, um, they, they see they, the, the future is unknown, of course, from making sales to the types of projects to the types of clients they'll be interacting with, what's going to come up. And they, rather than moving toward a place of love, they get caught in that place of fear, which results in constriction in the voice, in the way one might interact with other people. And then the resulting symptom beyond that is constriction of the business. And the only expansive thing in our universe is just this sheer joy of being alive, of movement, of fluidity. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a total fractalization of our inner state. And so being really excited about what we're doing, telling people, yeah, I design edible landscapes, you know, what's wrong with telling somebody about that if you're super passionate about it, rather than, um, allowing this, this fear of, oh, I don't want to mess up their property. So I'm going to be, you know, really bashful about saying what I do. You know, you don't have enough information to even know if that person's a right it fit you're just telling them yeah heck yeah i'm super stoked to be talking to you and i design edible landscapes <laughs> sure sure you want to know more yeah and i would say to just to add on to that the one thing that has really helped me and <laughs> i have been really thick-headed about it from the beginning is asking for help um yeah i don't know where this mentality comes in especially around and I definitely find it more in the United States than in so many other countries where I've lived in where collaboration and then closeness of community and family is much more prevalent. But this idea that, you know, it's, it's a somehow a bigger success if you did it by yourself or right. you didn't succeed as much if you, if you asked for help along the way is, is horrible. It really holds people it's back. It's really limiting back for a long, long time. And you know, the, this podcast in particular is, probably my most consistent effort in the last couple of years of consistently asking for help and reaching out to people who I've always wanted to talk to, to get their advice and ask the questions after reading their books or, you know, consuming their content or admiring their work. And, you know, along that line, 
Pete, could you tell our listeners at home how they can get in contact with you? Because your advice, your guidance, your friendship has been really helpful for me since we've known each other. And I would really recommend that if anybody else is starting out in these types of spheres, that they at least get to know some of the content that you've put out there. So how can they find you? Yeah, thank you. And I I love our friendship as well, Oliver. It's been awesome. Um, yeah, so I am getting a new website up called PeteWyden.com. Um, so that's Pete, P-E-T-E, W-I-D-I-N, two eyes.com slash discover will be um, the page where you can explore um, setting up a call with me to talk about what it might look like to get real results in your business, um, wherever you may be in it. And also, most actively, if you want to interact with me on a daily basis, um, I am on Facebook at the Epic Eco Designer Facebook group. And we have almost 900 people in there now. It's an active group. And we are unfolding some really exciting stuff over the next couple months to build the connectivity and uh, efficacy of that network on Facebook. And you can also find me on Instagram at Pete Wyden. Yeah, and you guys can find me on that same group. Uh, I'm not as active as I'd like to be because I'm trying to limit my Facebook to something a little healthier than I used to cultivate, but I can definitely attest <laughs> to the value of that group if, if you guys want to come in and interact with both of us on that forum. Uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Pete, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm really looking forward to catching up with you in person in about a week. Sweet, yes. All right, Wonderful. man, you take care and we'll talk again real soon. Thanks a lot. Bye, everybody. See ya. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we share. I'm very grateful to all of you who have added comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at abundantedge.com. And all of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again in next week's session.